Hello and welcome to the EMS Improv Podcast. I am Eric Chase. We are powered by GEMS. We have three fantastic guests today. This is a powerhouse collection of individuals that are serving in EMS and also reflecting and representing the importance and the significance of what ES, EMS is in this country or is lacking in this country. My first guest is going to be Alana Batchley. She became an EMT at the age of 19 and has been a paramedic since 2016 in the Hudson Valley and downstate region of New York. She has been president of the IAEP Local 20 since January 2020 and a member of the NAGE National Executive Board since 2022. He's also a national vice president of NAGE since October 2022. She is the co-founder of Make EMS Essential, a grassroots advocacy organization funded or founded, excuse me, during the pandemic by EMS providers in New York. She is a rock star, and I want to welcome you, Alana. Thank you so much for having me. You're quite welcome, and I look forward to getting to your points here in a moment. Our next guest, another heavy hitter, um, New York represented, a Brooklynite, Anthony Almohera is an EMS lieutenant and a vice president of Local 3621, um, the New York Fire Department EMS Officers Union. He's a 20-year veteran and author of Riding the Lightning, A Year in the Life of the New York City Paramedic. He's, uh, his engrossing memoir was published by HarperCollins in 2022. He's a native, like I said, of Brooklyn. He's a world traveler. He's a practicing Buddhist. And uh, he also is working with the EMS FDNY Help Fund, which takes care of paramedics and EMTs when they're dealing with uh, financial issues, crisis, and health issues. Bridging the disparities fueled by the FDNY EMS in sharp contrast to the FDNY Fire and NYPD, um, particularly since the horrors of COVID-19, uh, he's become even more engaged and involved. It has triggered his deepest traumas, which propelled him to write Riding the Lightning, a year in the life of a New York City paramedic. Anthony has been profiled in the Washington Post, CNN, NPR, USA Today, Al Jazeera, BBC, the New York Times, and more. Thank you, Anthony, Lieutenant Amohara. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on here as well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, being in such great company. And the company would not be complete if we didn't get the opportunity to introduce the third and final rock star of this podcast, which we're happy to have, Brownie Gilby. Brownie is a freelance writer and producer based in Chappaqua, New York, through, <clears throat> through ABC News Productions. She has produced documentary segments for the Discovery Channel, Discovery Health, and A&E, and was an associate producer at 60 Minutes, CBS News in New York and London. Her most recent documentary work was on the Hey Boo, a celebration of To Kill a Mockingbird for PBS American Masters. She has three children who are a paramedic and EMTs. She is also the producer, director, kind of everything involved from my understanding of Honorable Broken, EMS in Crisis, which is a documentary film about brave first, brave first responders who make up EMS. Brownie, it's a pleasure to have you on as well in this amazing group of uh, exemplary professionals and representing EMS, so welcome. It's a privilege to be here, thank you. All right, well, without further ado, Alana, you come to us with some ideas in representing rank and file. You're a union representative. You're a national um, vice president. 
what does that mean to you and how can we, and you're also the co-founder of Making MS Essential. So those things collectively, how do you see EMS becoming and propelling it to the standard that it should be held to and reimbursed at and pay and everything else? <laughs> well, um, thank you again um, for that lovely introduction um, into some of the work that I've been doing. Um, I um, never experienced um, a union in my EMS work um, or even my hospital work that I did um, as a younger EMT um, until I started to work at a larger commercial company that did actually have a union IEP in place. Um, and I started to realize that um, within our membership and within um, our group of, at the time, 500 of us, we had the power to um, make significant changes um, into our working conditions, into the ways that we as the rank and file um, were being treated. Um, and so <laughs> I got extremely passionate extremely quickly um, in what I could do and what all of us could do um, within that union, um, ran for office shortly before the pandemic started and became the um, IEP Local 20 president in January of 2020. Um, as, <laughs> um, as we all know, um, about two months later, um, we were thrust into um, the first epicenter of the, or the first major epicenter of the pandemic here in the United States. Um, my members um, work, and I specifically also worked within the original containment zone in New Rochelle, New York, um, that was established by Governor Cuomo at the time. Um, and we were all terrified. Um, and we realized that we had never anticipated or bargained for something like this in the past. We had a collective bargaining agreement in place, um, but we didn't have an understanding or an idea of how to go up against failing structures. Um, we didn't have enough PPE um, and didn't know how to get it. Um, and it became very clear within my early negotiations that there was only so much that I would be able to or anyone be able to achieve at the table between union and management in one location as that there were structural and systemic issues that were plaguing the entire field of EMS that also needed to be addressed. Um, and I, over the course of the last few years, worked with, you know, other local um, members on this campaign to just at the very essence, make EMS essential was the the simplest message that we could think of that could unify all of these different entities and all of these different organizations that have been siloed in EMS and just unify us all behind one concrete message. Um, and through that work, I've learned so much and I've been blessed um, by the leadership of my union in the national office, um, looking at what we were doing here in New York and saying, go for it, um, and giving us a lot of backing to be able to um, work on these more systemic issues. And, you know, that involves more political lobbying, more campaigning, more things that kind of go outside of the scope of that local level work of the union. But recognizing that a large labor movement that includes the rank and file can also be a vehicle for systemic change. And that's really what we've been working on um, here. And our local has since expanded. We have 900 members in the downstate area of New York, eight counties um, that we're in, and all of them are looking towards us and being the hope for something to, to change within EMS.
which I'm sure we'll get into some of the details of that in a bit. Absolutely, we will. And, and before I bring in Anthony to kind of uh, piggyback on what you had just said and, and some of the stuff that they're doing and how you're working together and collaborating, um, hope and change. Um, I heard um, mm -hmm. power to action, power to action. And from 500 to 900 in a three-year period or less than three years, mm -hmm. that, that means you're doing something right. And whether it's holding people accountable, government accountable, individuals accountable within the organizations doing what's best and what's right. I um, consistently send letters, emails to my state senators and, and the national level senators and representatives. And one of the things that Senator Lankford, uh, his one of his New York staffers called me last two weeks ago and said, we need more stories. And he's on the committee for the finance committee for funding for EMS, CMS, and, and all these things. We need more stories of why EMS is broken and what's going on. Well, a cursory review of social media will show us that in Pennsylvania, in Iowa, in Oklahoma, in every state across the country, doors are shuttering in EMS agencies um, for lack of funding. And when make EMS essential as a co-founder you are, what were some of the things you were looking at? And then I'm gonna have Anthony piggyback on that, but make EMS essential. Why was that kind of the hallmark of what everything that you all are doing? So um, I can go back to even the initial brainstorm in early 2021 when our members kind of brought this to us. We, we, we truly understood that there were a lot of different political interests from different entities within EMS. Um, so what would be something that a private for-profit ambulance company might lobby for might not be the same as a smaller non-for-profit 501c3 ambulance or a municipal or a university-based or you know all these different types of EMS. And we wanted to distill something down that we thought everyone could agree on so that we could all come together as a unified front, as EMS as a whole, to say this is something that we could all benefit from. Um, and not have as much of the infighting that you sometimes see within um, EMS. Um, so that was where it started. Um, and since then, we now have um, been able to um, expand our leadership team throughout New York State. Um, it's far beyond my local union. Um, we have both union and non-union leaders on the leadership team, chiefs of local um, rescue squads. We have... Um, about 16 leaders now scattered throughout New York State, all on this um, leadership team. And we're working together to kind of thread the needle through where we can find places of compromise and places where we think that this will universally benefit all of us, even though we're from different types of EMS backgrounds. Um, and we've learned a lot. So, I mean, the, the word essential sounds great. And it's something that came out from the pandemic. But legally speaking, we're not actually talking about essential status. We're talking about critical infrastructure and being deemed as critical infrastructure. And that's something that we had to learn um, that just legally speaking, sometimes the words don't always match the message, um, but that's OK. Um, and our, our huge, a huge part of what we're also trying to achieve is, is public education, because the public does not understand or realize that. If they call 911, there's no law guaranteeing that somebody shows up in their time of need um, and they might have a medical emergency and an ambulance just doesn't show up. Um, and that's not just in rural areas. Sometimes it's in um, populated areas as well, urban areas that just might have EMS, but not enough EMS. 
Um, and, and so those are the types of things we're looking at and figuring out what can we um, all agree on. And making MS essential was the simplest message that we felt that could bring us all together to have this conversation. Perfect, thank you very much for that, Alana. Anthony, piggybacking on that, your involvement, your knowledge and experience uh, working for the organization that you do, um, and also being in a leadership position. Uh, you also wrote a book because of, of things that were triggered uh, in, in your from your past. So putting all those things together that uh, coming on the back of what Alana was talking about, why is this so important to you and why does this resonate? Why does why do I see a visceral change in, in your uh, you know kind of appearance as you hear these things? Because this is something that I feel from what I've read about you are really, really significantly caring about. Well, first let me say Alana Hoffa is what I'm getting. Right? His Jimmy Hoffa said if you if a, if if a if you bought something in store, chances are a trucker brought it to you. If you went to the hospital in the emergency, chances are an ambulance brought you there. Right? A unified front. Whatever's happening in, in Wyoming to EMS workers should also be happening to us here. The reason why you see me shift in my seat is because what Alana is saying, and I'm pretty sure what everybody here is going to be saying is why does it take this long for EMS to be counted amongst the necessary services for this country? Forget about our local areas. It's insane to me. The anger, the visceral anger, is in, it's insane to me that this country doesn't value EMS the way it values firefighters, cops, and even sanitation workers. You don't pick up your garbage for a day. Phone calls are made everywhere. An ambulance doesn't come. Well, you know what? I don't need an ambulance. I'm healthy. There's a disconnect in this country when it comes to health care and taking care of our fellow brother and sister. Why should I pay for a service when I don't need it? And the education that Alana was touching on is just not there. You'd never see commercials about, hey, if you're having a stroke, call 911. But you see commercials, if you prevent a stroke, you should take this medication. Or you see tons of advertisements, even from the entities themselves. This is what police is for. This is what fire is for. Have you changed your fire alarm smoke batteries? If you see something, say something. But you never hear them talk about EMS. And I think because people are generally afraid to acknowledge their own mortality and that ambulances represent a, a chain in that. And I also feel this lets the politicians off the hook because they get to lump us in with healthcare, And they say to themselves, well, they're part of that thing. And we can't figure out that thing because we don't have a universal health care here, which is insane to me. And yes, my advocacy comes, you know, I come from a union family. My, my, my uh, father was a uh, merchant marine sea, uh, uh, longshoreman, you know, working on the docks. I watched them go on strike and get what they needed, but I'm not allowed to strike. The quintessential aspect of labor is to be able to withhold labor, but I'm bound by the Taylor Law, like many other entities, EMS agencies throughout the nation. Uh, I became interested because I started working in 911 and I'm working with firefighters and cops and I go, wait, you die in the job, your family gets paying benefits for life. 
I die on a job, I get three years salary. Basically, my pension contributions return back to me. Allison Russo, a lieutenant with us, was stabbed to death in the street last, last year. Her family got a check for three years salary, nothing more. Within 48 hours, her family was taken off her health insurance. You're banging pots and pans for me for the pandemic. But I got nothing to put in the pot and pan at home. It's crazy. And so me getting it out there, I was I was active before the pandemic. But during the pandemic, it was like, wait a minute, you're talking about the doctors, you're talking about the nurses, rightfully so. You're not talking about the people who go into people's homes and see little Johnny's picture on the wall or doing CPR on them. You're not talking about the people who are going to people's homes who are seeing the fear in real time, not in a place where you can separate and put somebody in a room and it's sterile. The impact it has on us over the years of cumulative trauma, that's why right now, currently in the FDNY EMS, and you can extrapolate this nationwide, 74% of the workers here have less than five years experience. We are losing 10 to 15 people a week, a week. We have put out this year two medic classes and approximately five EMT classes, and we run down ambulances every day. And I'm going to bring up something else to you. The captain just handed me something that I've been fighting for for two years. This is the COVID-19 pin. I don't know if you can see it too well. We can see it. Thank you. I had to tell the chiefs in June, I'm sorry, in March of 2021, to read the names of the people who had died from COVID, to recognize the sacrifice, because they weren't going to do it. For two years, I've been trying to get them to officially recognize COVID as an event. And people sit there and say, Anthony, a pen doesn't mean anything. You're right. That's in the grand scheme of things. But what it does is it allows me now to fight for the benefits that are associated with the event. People were not getting 9-11 three-quarter pension disabilities until the fire department in the city of New York recognized it as an official event. The fact that we had to wait two years for them to do it is a travesty. So the things I'm doing is getting it out there, trying to organize people, trying to forget about the barriers between municipal and private. You know, they, there's a lot of infighting, as Alana touched on, with tribal you know, that has to go. A rising tide lifts all boats. If I'm successful in getting pay parity with cops and firefighters, which I think we're going to do, we have numerous things, including a federal EEO lawsuit that the fire department has to answer for. Then what happens is that sets a path for the other agencies to say, look, they got it. We can get it, too. And my, my, my wildest dreams is to have Class A cities as a third service, million residents or more, an independent third service and a national EMS service for the rest of the country. Just because you live in Watertown or Bozeman, Montana, does not mean you don't deserve the same standard of care. That's the goal here. Pay parity, set the mark for the other agencies, and then say, hey, let's make it a big thing. I, I think uh, 34 states still don't recognize us as a essential service. That's crazy. That's crazy. It is crazy. First and foremost, I want to thank you for your heart, your passion, uh, sharing Lieutenant Russo's uh, name and, and honoring her memory and, and may light perpetual just continue to shine upon her uh, through her. Um, 
with that being said, and before we get on to Briani, um, Lieutenant Russo, uh, the naysayers across this country, for me in Oklahoma, for people in Bozeman, you know, where, where their employer, third service, hospital-based, private, for-profit, not-for-profit, are going to say, if you become union or you try to become unionized, we're going to terminate you. We're going to get rid of you. We can get somebody else tomorrow. Well, we're in a unique position today that they can't get somebody tomorrow um, because of, of the, the amount of people. You said 74% of, of the NYPD EMS has less than five years experience. FDNY EMS. FDNY has EMS. Less less correct. Than five years. Has less than five years. And that's only, that number would be greater, but because of the pandemic, the classes that go to fire and PD were stopped for a while. So the attrition rate that bleeds out to those agencies has trickled. But in this November, those tests are coming back out. Uh, in the 2507 local, which are the EMTs and paramedics, they have roughly only about, out of, out of a little more than 3,400, they only have about 220 members who have over 20 years experience. That's nothing. I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing you want to talk about anger. I had kids, and I don't use that term in a demeaning fashion. But I had 18-year-old come out of the academy right before the pandemic, working with the 19-year-old, because that's all I have. And I'm putting them out there to face this pandemic. What really should have happened is we should have had a service. And for years, we were telling them this was going to happen. We should have had a service where it was a bunch of people like me, like Alana, who say, hey, new guy, come here, sit. Let me show you how this is done. You put your shoe on, you know, one foot at a time. And they did the best they could, but they all left afterwards. They all left. They were like, not only do I not want to go through that again, some of them, but why would I want to work for an agency that was telling me to reuse PPE? The fire department of New York was telling me to reuse PPE, which my answer to them in the meeting we had, when they told us we had only three days left of masks, we run out of masks, we don't go into calls. Simple as that. So you choose. You gotta you you better go dig and find them. So why would I want to work for agency that did that, that wouldn't recognize us? Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've lost 10 members to COVID deaths. I also have eight members commit suicide. I myself have had my own suicidal ideations where I almost went through with it. So you see all that. Why would you want to work here? Why would you want to work in any EMF? That's the anger because. What really should happen is the, the, the collective hug from the communities and the governments and, hey, look at, what, look at what happened to EMS. We can't let this happen again, right? You hear it for 9-11. Never forget. They've already forgotten us. They've already forgotten. Sorry, I, I kind of went off there a little bit. This is the platform for this, where we engage, where we're mindful, and we share, tell our stories. That's the EMS Improv mantra. Um, thank you for sharing your passion and your spirit. And we're not going to connect, and this story isn't going to resonate with anyone, as Senator Lankford's BC staffer said, until they know. And even if they do know, they can obfuscate their responsibilities to the communities until something happens in their neighborhood or in their household. And I am as angry as I feel that some of you are. Um, Ronnie Gilby, the freelance writer, producer uh, up there in Chappaqua, New York, 
you've taken on a mission, honorable but broken, honorable but broken, EMS in Crisis, a documentary film. I want to thank you for being here as well and ask you on the backs of hearing what Alana and Anthony have said, um, have you been fueled anymore? Has the, the fire been lit even uh, more? Or because you have children that are already in EMS, is this something that you're just passionate about? Why, what, and how? And, and give you the opportunity to share uh, what's going on with Honorable Broken, why you came into uh, the role that you, that you chose, and how we can help in the communities uh, that are going to hear this can help you as well. Um, absolutely. I mean, just listening to people tell their stories. Every time I hear a story, it's a little bit, the mission becomes a little bit more personal. Um, uh, I think, I mean, I'm in EMS for life and there's no way to hear what's going on and not want to just throw your hands up and <laughs> just say, what can I do? Um, and, you know, that, that question has been answered by people around the country who've reached out to me and said, how can I help you? How can we get your film out there? How can we advertise? What, you know, how can we coordinate? Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it started out as kind of telling a story that I didn't think had been told. And it was a little bit stream of consciousness, um, which I, I think Anthony, I don't know if this is how you felt when you were writing your book, but it just, it's sort of this, howl that comes out when you listen to people's stories and we had a sort of a sense of where the film was going to go and it just it didn't go in that direction because it very clearly started to write itself as more of a, a personal essay um, from people that just wanted to tell everybody else out there what was going on um, you know it's not news these stories have been in the news um, in different states locally nationally um, but but like Alana and Anthony were saying, just it doesn't really seem to translate into action. Um, and I mean, we we saw even with with the burn pit victim in the military that it took somebody standing on the steps of of Congress, you know, a, a very public figure, just shaming people. So it, it doesn't surprise me that we have to kind of get angry um, and just really unite um, across different media, across different organizations. Um, I do think there's a there's a sense in EMS that that they that the industry is very siloed, um, individual, and they, you know, it's like economists, you get people from EMS in a room and they they can't agree on anything. But I don't think that's true. That hasn't been my experience. My experience has been that um, like I said, across the country, I think people are people are feeling pain, people are sad, people are angry, people are afraid, um, and they're all saying enough. And I think if that isn't a unifying sentiment, then what is? So the film really was, I said, essentially started to be a story, and now I think it's becoming, hopefully, another way of um, educating and advocating um, and we really have, well, we, we've we've had an amazing response from people. Still, still are from organizations that are looking to help. And we have a um, we had an, a phone call from Boundary a couple of weeks ago, saying we want to take over all your marketing. We want to do what we can. Um, put put you on our website. Introduce you to our clients. 
Uh, they have a whole government division. Um, they want to show the film in Congress. So it's it's just step by step, I think, getting a little bit more out there. Um, I, I don't know if I answered all of your questions. <laughs> sorry. Oh, please, please don't be sorry. And, and I appreciate that. Uh, I kind of offer up a bunch of things to to find out where they resonate or land within the spirit of each of you that are that are here. Um, one of the things that I heard, you know, the the kind of EMS being siloed, I feel in the rank and file in in the employees, those of us that are actively engaged as paramedics and working in the field, um, or EMS in general, whatever our uh, licensure level or certification level is, I think we could have a unified front. I think in the ownership and the management, there, there are issues because we're so fragmented from a hospital base to a private for-profit, for a not-for-profit, for a third service type systems where individual identity and individual income are what's propelling that kind of siloing effect it, from my perspective. And I've been on several large national committees, uh, the NAEMP and the American Amateur Association. And, you know, not to disparage either one of those because they're doing great work, fantastic work. And, and simultaneously, we could still do better to collaborate, to meet the needs, to hear the needs, to better send the message to uh, the people, legislatures uh, that, that need to hear this. So hearing the kind of the what and the why and the how, and, and this is more a personal essay now as opposed to a, a you know, an initial story. What are your goals for Honorable But Broken EMS in Crisis? And for the people that don't follow you guys on social media, what was one of the big things that you guys were able to announce uh, recently? Who's going to be uh, talking on the documentary and narrating it, if you will? Um, well, I, our goals are lofty. I'm, I'm kind of a positive person. So, uh, my kids who work in EMS, as you as you said, uh, think it's adorable that um, I they, I think I can affect change. But um, I, you know, I'm 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 to quote Anthony, I'm riding the lightning on this one. Wherever it takes us, as far as it takes us, you know, Godspeed because uh, I think that we're asking a lot of EMS. I think um, you know they're facing a significant growth in what is being asked of them. Um, significant growth in the number of calls that they're having to respond to um, and uh, bureaucratic complexity. Um, and we're still paying them for in a way that doesn't reflect the last 50 years potentially of what they've been asked to do. So um, yeah, I, I think I think we had um, we had a mission to really tell people outside and inside EMS, what's going on. And uh, we were fortunate through Alana actually to be able to get Sarah Jessica Parker um, to come on board and agree to narrate for us. Uh, and that was just, I mean, that just blew us out of the water in terms of recognition and, and um, publicity. So can't thank her enough for doing that. Um, and she's, she's just an amazing person. She really is. Um, so it just, it just, it was, and she did it, you know, gratis she just came and in, in, in her own time by herself showed up to the sound studio and recorded for us 
and that's been kind of the pinnacle of everything that's happened in this film everybody has said you know can I do the graphics for free can I help you with music can I advise you on this and can you know can I do the narration and so I think that just speaks to the universality of how people think of EMS um and once they know the story I think um once they know what's going on I think it will be very hard to ignore that and not you know feel some sort of guilt for you know not doing anything pay late and a dollar short um with with that being said uh the organizations boundary Sarah Jessica Jessica Parker those that are doing graphics and stuff money is still needed and and the trailer is going out there and, and I tried to get that out on LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter um, where can people go? Because we still need money. Uh, where can people go, Brianni, to uh, to donate or or to help affect change, if you will, with the honorable vote broken? Absolutely. I mean, but all of our social media sites, uh, which are hashtag honorable but broken or honorable broken on Twitter, um, you can find a link to our donation page. But it's through Forgiving, uh, Forgiving.com. Uh, you can find us and uh, it's all be it's all um being I said funneled sounds like money laundering um <laughs> it's all being sponsored by an organization out in California um called partnerships for change so it's all tax deductible and um yes I mean we've had donations of you know five and ten dollars from people in EMS that can ill afford it um, there's one gentleman that donates $25 every month, um, which just breaks my heart. But if we can get organizations that maybe have a little bit more money behind them or like services and kind, we were also really grateful for as well. So that's where to to go. I love that. Before I come back to you, Alana, you know, I, I look at, and, and my wife and I go to balls and dances and things like that, you know, and organizations are paying the gold and the platinum and the bronze and, and the, the different levels and, and that's because we, there's something to them in, in that moment tangible their name is out there at the table you you know you get a you know a decent meal you get some wine or cocktails and, and people are giving significant amounts of money because right now that they can go and and we can laud each other's goodness and graciousness and how well we look in a tuxedo and stuff like that um the, the thing with this you're really going to contribute to actionable change if you can make a donation whether it's a five dollars or like the gentleman that's doing 25 dollars a month so i just want for the listeners give 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 and there's organizations that i know are going to hear this please come up with the money because you're doing it for other things where you're going to have 10 people at a table and and, and that dinner is going to be over in two or three hours with some dancing this is going to affect a lifetime of change for EMS professionals and practitioners in the country. Alana, um, coming back to you, you've heard Anthony, you've heard Bryani. Where have your feelings, emotions uh, kind of come to with what what you've heard? Um, Well, um, I'm feeling a lot of things. (laughs) Um, Yeah, just listening, I'm I'm, I'm kind of distilling a lot of, of what we've been hearing about um, and a couple things are coming to mind for me. Um, the first being that those of us who work in this field, we want to be seen, we want to be heard. Um, 
and we have a lot of tragic experiences for lack of a better term a lot of things I mean something that Anthony said I just can't get it out of my mind that working somebody up with the child like with their child's um photo nearby and, and I'm always struck by the wedding portraits like when you're when you're you know in somebody's home trying to save their life and you're just looking at them as a younger version of yourself um in that wedding photo um and you see the 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 person in the photo with them crying to the side hoping that you're going to save that person and that's something that doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers do not experience um and the layers of our experiences are not as well known and part of what the honorable broken team is doing is really painting that portrait in a beautiful way and what brian was saying about it being an essay a story it just happened organically because we all have these stories that we've been holding inside of us and we don't always articulate because it's hard to articulate those things um and it's hard to feel those things um, and it's easier to sometimes brush it aside, but it creates a mental health crisis amongst us. Um, and it's something that goes hand in hand with addressing the systemic issues. And part of where they're stemming from is that lack of understanding and lack of recognition of the nuances of what's affecting us mentally. Um, it isn't always that critical incident. It isn't always, it's sometimes it's, it's this chronic um, buildup um, and nothing made it more obvious than the pandemic when, you know, I, I'm, I know Anthony, I, I've, I've heard his stories in, in, you know, previous articles. And to be honest, I, I couldn't read your book. Um, it was recommended to me and I didn't think I'd be able to get through it for my own mental health because of my own experience. I was like, I don't know how I read that. Um, and I'm sure there are other EMS providers who feel the same way. Um, I would love to read your book, but I don't know that I get through that without re-triggering a lot within myself. And I think a lot of us are in that boat. And when we're talking about these systemic problems, we're talking about the mental health of our providers. Um, and the second thing that is, it seems like this thread between all of us is the idea of equity. Um, and so we're not, when we're talking about, um, EMS being critical infrastructure, EMS being alongside um, fire police and other healthcare professions, we're talking about equity. Um, we're talking about um, why is it that the, I mean, and and I think Anthony also kind of alluded to this in some of what's going on with um, FDNY EMS and, and some of their EEOC claims is that, you know, this is of the first responder fields, it's the most diverse by gender and and especially in New York City, the most um, racially, racially and ethnically diverse fields. And we are seeing the least benefits and the least um, amount of pay. And that's the ding, ding, ding. Everybody talks about pay and benefits, but they're also not considering that we're not getting the same resources for our mental health. Um, it's, you know, that statistic about 75% have five years or less. I'm surprised it was that low. I'm thinking 80 to 85% because of what I've seen within the field of EMS. And that's not equity in healthcare. If you are getting an inexperienced EMS crew showing up to your emergency, um, as you know, a citizen or, you know, or as a person within this country that you're not necessarily getting the most experienced um, EMTs or you're not getting the most experienced medical professionals showing up to your emergency, that in and of itself is a public health emergency. 
Um, and our retention and our, like, I hate, I hate this term, but the revolving door that I am like EMTs in, EMTs out, medics in, medics out, it's, always been taken for granted, at least before the pandemic started, it was always just like, that's EMS, that's the business model, that's how it works. You just always, you know, nobody's going to stick around. It's just a stepping stone. Nothing bothers me more than that sentiment. Um, I have, you know, in my life been extremely blessed and privileged to have access to, you know, a higher education to, you know, not be a first generation college student. I have a bachelor's degree. I could not count the number of times I've been asked, why do you still do this? Why are you still a paramedic? Why haven't you moved on? Go to nursing school, go to um, medical school. I mean, I have considered alternate routes for myself. And every time I, you know, realize, but I love being a paramedic. Why should I have to leave? Why should I not get to have a career within this field and love being a paramedic, love being in people's homes with them, seeing them as they are, Nobody has a better window into society than an EMT or a paramedic. I sometimes joke, maybe a plumber because plumbers also go into people's homes, maybe an electrician. But, you know, we are finding people as they are. We are an underutilized resource for our government. You know, we're not properly managed by the federal government. We're still in the Department of Transportation. I strongly believe we need to be in health and human services. They are, <laughs> they are losing tons of data on public health emergencies by not using us as a resource they could if you know even you know any any government agency could use data that we could provide them housing um and urban development you know we could like we're seeing what it looks like to walk into you know public housing and the conditions that people are living in and how that affects their health we have those stories we see those things and i could go on and on obviously but you know when we're talking about making EMS essential, when we're talking about um, the issues that our field faces, we're talking about equity. We're talking about equity in healthcare. We're talking about equity within the field um, and first response and healthcare. Um, and we are not being properly utilized by society and we're not able to stay within the field for a career as a result. And we're just watching people flounder um and have to experience the the really tragic things and and the things that we see and the things that we feel and smell and all those things that we don't get to unsee or unfeel or unsmell um and and people are just choosing to leave the field because they don't feel that support to stay um to echo that i am studying microbiology I, i've been taking the pre-med track and i just got into the cohort for the nursing program paramedic bridge I have a bachelor's degree. I'll have an associate's of art and science. Um, have had other certificate classes, and at the same time, my wife is going to retire in the next eighteen months. I could make over a hundred thousand dollars a year as a paramedic, but I would have to work every day of the week in order to do that. And I can't do that at my age, nor should anybody at at twenty five. So yeah, I, hearing that, and then one of the things I want to go very back before we bring Anthony back up. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, people hear that and they're like, they're frightened, they run away from it, or automatically you're a racist because you're talking about it. Um, I, and I've had people that uh, are persons of color talking about it. I want to just bring up the point. When you said EMS, and particularly in the upstate, downstate New York, New York City EMS, FDNY EMS, diverse in ethnicity, diverse in gender, um, and yet still 
still, and, and so I'm going to just reiterate this, still underpaid compared to fire and law enforcement. What's the reason? I can't name it, but it looks pretty bright. Anthony, on the back of that, you heard a lot of things that Alana said and articulated beautifully, and thank you for sharing. I want to, I want to hear what you uh, want to add and, and piggyback on there as well. FDNY EMS is currently 60% minority, 40% female. We have everything under the sun. Uh, an informal poll about four years ago was conducted by some of the, lo- the two locals. We represent almost every language on the planet. And just the FDNY EMS alone. It's funny, uh, one of the medics is, just as I said that, one of the medics is texting me a phrase in Chinese so we could put a sign up because I work in New York City's largest Chinatown in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. So we could put a sign up outside to inform the local community of what this place is because a lot of them don't speak English. I'm, I'm, Lana said a lot of things that all of us have been saying for years and the stress, the stress of the attrition rate is not talked about enough. You go to firehouses and the thing that binds them is they can be working together for 20, 25 years. They go to each other's weddings and bar mitzvahs and everything else. Every six months here, my girlfriend is leaving me. I get invested in them. I train them. I help them. I show them what, how beautiful this job can be. And then they're gone. And then I have to do it again. And then when I'm stressed, Alana touched on that there's no infrastructure built into EMS to help us with our mental issues. In the fire department of New York, the largest fire department in the world, the second busiest EMS service in the world. We have something called the Counseling Service Unit, which was designed for firefighters after 9-11. During the pandemic, EMS members were activating like, like it never had before. The director of CSU, when I called him and said, how come you're turning away people? He said to me, we were never set up for EMS. We don't know how to handle the problems you have. And to this day, we do not recommend people to use the fire department counseling service unit. The help fund that you mentioned I was a part of had to set up an age outside entities, independent of the fire department, to provide mental health services for the members. That was never designed, that help fund was never designed for that. So now we're paying mental health care costs out of a general welfare fund that the members contribute into. The members are funding their own mental health. That's crazy. That's a fundamental breakdown. I wrote an article for the Times, and uh, an op-ed for the Times about, uh, and to, to, um, to, to, to critique Mayor Adams pulling homeless people off the streets. And I talked about mental health care, how there's the pipeline, the beginning of the pipeline of mental health care starts with EMS workers. But we don't have mental health care. So the people who are, in, who are charged with the task of determining people's mental health status have nothing to help them determine their own mental health status. It's crazy to think that this is acceptable. And the call volume is is something that I don't think people truly understand, the public. They think, well, you know, how many people are having heart attacks? When I first started the job, the average call volume, with the exception of a New Year's or a July 4th or a crazy event like a blackout, 
was about 2,500, 3,000 calls a day. That's incredibly busy compared to some other EMS agencies. We haven't been under 4,800 in about two years. Two nights ago, 5,800 calls in the 24-hour period. People are not comprehending the, the, the tapping in of this service. And I think what the pandemic showed the public was who maybe a lot of them had never called 911 for the first time. I mean, if ever have called for the first time, they go, look at how great this service is. You get people like me and Alana and and her, her kids coming in and they, they're so nice and they and they take my blood pressure, they give me medications and they put me on a stretcher and they take me to the hospital and I get to, I don't have to sit with the riffraff out there. And they, 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 they know my name now and I get to use this service, but they don't, you know, they don't know what's happening with this service. And it's, it's incredible to me that when you speak to people and I'm happy this film is being made, I'm going to uh, make a motion that the local contribute $2,000 towards this fund to, to see if every little bit helps, you know, we'll sit there and, Get some money together for it. I think I, I think this will be successful as far as the, the contribution. Um, I'll get the word out there for it. But the fact that we have to make a film, <laughs> you know, and get Sarah Jessica Parker to narrate it, and hopefully people go, oh, that's the Sex in the City girl. What is she talking about? Why is this important? Because they don't know it's important already. You know, and, and I've, I've, I speak to politicians all day long. I mean, if you've read anything I've done, it's me sitting there talking to them and they give me a lot of lift service with the, with few exceptions. You know, as soon as they leave the door, they forget about me. So then I have to go after them. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call from the president of DC 37 saying, why are you going after this politician? Because they gave me lip service, you know, no more lip service, no more, Hey, you're important. And then walk away. If I have to shut down a bridge, that's what we're going to have to do. If I have to block traffic, that's where we're, cause that's where this is going. Right, it's time to be activists. For so long in EMS, for so long, the anger that we feel has turned to apathy, because we don't know where to attack, because people are leaving, because the service is breaking down, because we've looked at it as a stepping stone. Alana is one hundred percent right. You never hear firefighters, cops. You never hear other places say, "Hey, this is just a stepping stone." You never hear that. You're in for a penny, in for a pound for those places, and that's EMS. I should be able to say, oh, I'm a paramedic for life because I love it. And the activist portion here now is, well, it's time to start shutting things down. Oh, I can't strike? No problem. I don't have to wear this uniform. The city of New York still does not recognize FDNY as a uniform agency, even though we won that in court. And I'm saying it because if they can do it to the FDNY EMS, the second busiest EMS service in the world, the largest EMS service in America, imagine what they're doing to Alana's outfit. Imagine what they're doing to the EMS people in Wyoming. But imagine what they're doing to all the others. And you know, Alana, you mentioned that you can't read the book. I've gotten that a lot from EMS people, but I've also gotten... Uh, I'm thankful I didn't want to read it. I read it because now I see I'm not alone. And that was my motivation for making the book, for writing it. I, I For so long, I thought, we think we're these individuals. We come from these backgrounds, mostly traumatic. 
We think we're just individuals. We are educated. I have a bachelor's like everybody else here. We uh, we bring all these experiences in, but we don't know how to connect to each other. And I wanted to write the book to show that you're no different than me. Yeah. That the thing you see in me that maybe antagonizes you is because you're seeing a reflection of you. Right. And we don't like what we see in ourselves because yep. we bring that in. And we're trying to forget it by papering it over with this patch. Or I'm a first responder. I'm this. We, we paper over those holes in our emotional well-being. And then what happens is after so long, that paper starts to fray. Mm-hmm. And you can't cover those holes anymore. And then we burn out and we want to leave. And we want to be antagonistic with our coworkers because they're reflections of us. And I don't want to be around this because, you know, and then the house of cards starts coming in. And that's why I wrote the book. That's why I'm out there. Not only do I talk about the, the issues that we face financially and, 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 and uh, with the job itself and other things, but I also talk about the mental health stuff because that's just as important. We're never going to be, uh, as a service successful, we can't take care of ourselves that way. One of the initiatives I started at this station, and forgive me, I'll, I'll be brief with this. One of the biggest frustrations about EMS is not only all the structural problems, the continuity of care. I put all this energy into a patient. I don't get to see what happens. That's just the nature of the job, right? Mm-hmm. I, 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 take, I take you to an end place where you're going to get more care. Sometimes I get, a, a, a hey, this is what happens. Most of the time I don't. That burns you out. What if, and I had this idea off a meditation blog that I was reading about how this guy in Eastern Oregon, who was written by an EMT, created a, a meditation labyrinth. And I said, that'd be wonderful, but where am I going to put that in Brooklyn? <laughs> you know, I barely have enough space to sit in this office. But we do have a backyard and we do have a deck. And what I did was I had the idea because he said he put it next to their garden. And what if I can get the EMTs and medics at my station to help me build this garden and put the energy and grow stuff and see a place where they can sit and decompress and that the energy they put in some grew something. And what if they were able to leave some of that negative energy here? So instead of at the end of the tours running out, we started this about seven months ago. Now they're hanging for a few minutes talking to each other. My sick leave rate at this station has gone down. Most EMS stations in New York City, EMS, FDNY, run between 85 and 95% of their units. You're at 104%. We're running up units because people are coming into the station. I can't control the, the, the collective issues we mentioned here. That's a collective effort, money, structural. That's going to take a lot of time and energy. The patients I can't control. They're just going to, they're going to call. We're going to have to up. We're going to start to start staffing up, but the work environment we can control. We don't have to be flippant. When somebody comes in, how are you feeling? And wait for the answer. When somebody has a critique of something, listen to them. And create a space where people feel like, oh, I want to be there. I want to be there. So the mental health, all these things, the diversity, these are all things to be celebrated in EMS. And any politician worth their weight in gold, it's an easy win for them. This is an easy win. I don't know why it's such a struggle. You're telling me that if the mayor came out and said, hey, we're just going to pay them the same. That's what I'm asking for, the same, not a dollar more. We're just going to pay them the same and give them the same benefits and make sure if they die on the job, they're taken care of the same way. As cops and firefighters, you're telling me that Joe, Joe whoever on the corner, Joe taxpayer is going to go, 
I don't want those medics to make the same as firefighters and cops. That's crazy. They don't deserve that. I mean, I know they've been here six times in the last month for my COPD, but no, no. If I have a fire, that's more important. They're not going to say that. It's an easy win. Let's get together and get this done. Thank you. Sorry. No, please don't be sorry. Um, Radical transparency, vulnerability, purpose, passion, desire, mindfulness, um, effort, intentionality. The win is connecting and collaborating with humans on the level where they are. And, and, And profoundly, you said, ask and then wait for the answer. Be present. Hold space. And, and those are the things, the constructs that, that are woefully missing because of the antagonistic approach that we share with one another, the reflection of somebody else doing better or feeling better. When when I started seeking and finding my joy, I was, I was the antithesis of being liked. I was the, the anti-person in the organization because I needed to start seeking that and my actions and behaviors and my mannerisms changed and, and the positivity and the mirror neurons started flowing and the positive traits started overwhelming my negative traits. Um, hearing what you both said and Bryani, as we, as we start coming to a conclusion here with time and purpose and mission and, and, and things that we've been speaking about, does this just continue to build upon the why and are we looking at a date and time that that the documentary is going to be coming out what can you tell us from that perspective and then again i'm really grateful for your passion and in this vision that you've seen that you've taken on um so first of all thank you and second of all what's the time frame look like and your last kind of why before we start wrapping this up Absolutely. Uh, we're, we're looking for a local release in October. Uh, we have a couple of uh, cinemas in Westchester, New York, who are agreeing to show it. Um, we're hoping to have a, you know, an EMS night where anyone who works in EMS can come and see the film and uh, we'll add free food as an incentive. Um, but thank you. Um, but yeah, I think, I think what I'm taking, I'm taking, I, Everything that Alana and Anthony and you've said, um, Eric, just just brings it home. And I think kind of even beyond that, I think I think what Anthony said about this is a no brainer. I mean, it's it's, it's bipartisan. It's it's logical. Um, but even going forward, it's just it makes so much sense to use EMS um, as as we did in the pandemic for paramedicine. Um, for relieving hospitals of some of their patients sooner rather than later, um, the backups that were happening there for um, and all the programs that are being initiated around the country, like you know the whole blood programs, all these things that EMS can do um, that would just make the healthcare system in general more efficient and less costly. It it really is a no-brainer on so many levels to support EMS to bring them up to equal pay and benefits and and you know and launch them see what you can do because it benefits everybody so that's kind of the message that i'm i'm putting out there and i'm seeing um and i hope that the film can be a small part of of helping that but you know if it requires shutting down a bridge then i'm front and center in that effort too (laughs) hearing that and appreciating activism uh we talk about it a lot here in in oklahoma as well is you know 
when are our voices going to be heard and when is action going to have to replace our voices? Um, you know, thoughts without action is what? Meaningless. That no, nothing happens. So action, action is going to be paramount. Um, we've had three phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal guests. Uh, Anthony Amohera, um, Alana Badgley, Brownie Gilby. This is the EMS Improv Podcast, where we've tried to engage, where we've uh, been mindful. We shared and told our stories. My name is Eric Chase. We're powered by GEMS. I can't thank the three of you enough for the efforts, the intentionality, the relational uh, perspective that you share and carry, that the collaboration mindset, the yes and, even if we don't agree, you're accepting things even if you don't agree in order to pursue positive change, effective changes that will benefit our patients, our citizenry. And, and first and foremost, we're talking about paramedics and EMTs, their lives. Eight suicides directly related to you, Anthony, 10 COVID deaths of people that you specifically know. And I could say four and two, four COVID deaths and, and two suicides directly related. Alana, I'm sure you have numbers as well. Um, I've been there mentally and emotionally. And this story needs to stir. We need this to be shared on everyone's social medias. We need you to send this and other articles to your legislature, your senators, state, local government in order to, to do something. It takes 30 seconds a minute. It's not ours. It's not ours and, and we can all act. I wanna thank each of you again. Um, and just a last word from each of you, and we'll start with Brownie and we'll end with Alana. Um, thank you. Um, I just want, yeah, just want to say um, thank you for your service and uh, anything that I can do to further that, please reach out to me, um, look on our social media sites and reach out to me through those too. I love hearing from everybody and uh, yeah, thank you. And Anthony. Uh, obviously, thank you for having me on. Thank you for providing such wonderful collaboration and wonderful company here with two uh, people who are, who are really trying to get this message, the unified message of what EMS is and why it's important. And to the, to the people listening to this, you know, we often don't think about the two people inside the ambulance, when you go and look, you see the lights and sirens and they're just riding. You never think twice about those people inside of it. Even when you call us, you never ask us our names. We ask you your name, but you never ask us what's your name. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is I want people to listen to this and realize there are two human beings in there who you're calling in your worst moment. And they're there to provide safety, comfort and relief so help us get the people who can provide safety and comfort and relief for us so we can continue to do it for you and uh, that's what i want people to understand about this thank you for the gift for having me on it's been a blessing and alana um thank you um it's been actually quite a pleasure speaking with you all about this and just feeling the energy in the group um the passion for change um I think what I would leave on um, is that if you are listening to this um, and you are either an EMS provider or somebody who might potentially need EMS in the future or has used EMS in the past, um, 
I just want to encourage everyone um, who has heard the words that we've spoken, maybe felt the things that we're feeling, um, to leave this conversation open-minded about the things that might make you uncomfortable and what changes might need to occur. Um, if you're a taxpayer, that might mean feeling comfortable with increases to your taxes to support EMS um, without having to pull it out of other worthy services budgets. Um, if you're an EMS provider, that might mean um, doing things slightly differently than you've done in the past um, and being open-minded to that change. Um, I think that the passion is there and we all need to collectively be willing to um, dip our toes into a place that's slightly uncomfortable for the greater good of our fields. Um, and we at Make EMS Essential within our campaign at um, IAP and the unions, um, we are we are more than happy to be, you know, leading that change and, and helping with that messaging um, so it doesn't fall on individuals to do so. And you can find out more about what we're doing by visiting our website at makeemsessential.com. Pretty simple. <laughs> as simple as it is, we're still going to see struggle buses for people to get involved and engaged. Thank you all. Mm -hmm. And may a peace which transcends all your earthly understanding be with each of you.